Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 246 for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is the man no one expects, the Spanish by exposure Johnny, or as some of you may know him better, Pixelrefs. Hello, sir. Hello. I'm trying to think if we've done Monty Python references on this show before. I feel like it must have happened. It feels like almost, you know, a, a necessity at this point. But yes, um, I've come back from Spain without an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope, but it happens from time to time. And if you want to hear more about my travels in Spain, I've been talking a lot about that in this week's Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast that our patrons get access to. If you head over to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks, you can support us making the show and get access to the Render Distance to get a little bit of pre and post show chat every week and uh this episode is our chunk mail dispenser which is always a very exciting thing to come around we get to answer emails some of which are from our patrons but our patrons are really the ones who unlocked this as a theme for an episode of the show every month we've got a monthly minecraft hangout coming up this saturday on may 27th so keep an eye out for that the time is probably going to be around the same time we record the show as per usual sort of 2 p.m uk time translate for your time zone accordingly in july we have a quarterly hangout coming up as well so there is lots coming up on the patron calendar a quick correction to last week. We missed an audio credit for our new content engineer, Party Voyager. Sorry about that. I was behind on the Patreon membership audit for May, and I missed the new support level before we recorded last week. We were trying to, to get everything ready before Johnny had to go. Uh, but thank you very much for your support on episode 245 and your ongoing support. Yeah, cheers. Very, very happy to have you. Uh, I'm going to let you go first, Joel, because uh, I have not done a great deal of Minecraft playing this week, so you're probably going to have to fill us in on what you've been up to on the Citadel. I feel like I've done a lot of Minecraft playing. I don't know that I've done a lot of Minecraft building. I feel like I've done a lot of Minecraft rebuilding, where ah. I have uh, built a tower and then built a tower, built a tower again. Uh, it's the same tower, by the way, in case you haven't <laughs> figured that out. Uh, so the the bell tower that I had attached to the keep was something that needed addressing this past week. And uh, I pulled the trigger and removed the little fishing hut type of bottom part that was attached to it because it just didn't make sense. Like having access to the tower from anywhere just didn't feel like a it didn't feel like a, a good security or logistical kind of thing in terms of this tower being more part of the keep than it is anything else. And uh, it helped. It makes it feel special. It makes it feel a little bit different. I can change the materials of it to be less the same materials that are in the fishing village and more materials that are the, the keep is made out of. So it, it works a little bit better that way. Um, but I had a real struggle trying to figure out what um, textures to use, what blocks to use, trying to make it not blend in too much with the keep because visually they're one behind another. So like if, if it's gray stone, the keep is gray stone, then you just, it just feels like one big chunk as opposed to seeing the different, you know, um, form to everything, trying to use some contrast. And you ever have those experiences in Minecraft where like, you, you know that you could just default to andesite and stone, um, but you want to change it up. So you try a bunch of different things and then you end up using andesite and stone anyway. <laughs> I just, mean, the other, the other ones just don't work the way that you want. Like it's just, it's infuriating. You're speaking my language as somebody who built a cliff yeah. and then a castle entirely out of stone, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, I entirely agree. I ran into that problem all the time, worrying about foreground and background and how to contrast the two when you don't have shaders running and you don't get shadows cast against the wall that shows you a little bit more spatially where you're you know foreground and background are so yeah i think it's 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 always a challenge when you're building something that it feels like stone is going to be the natural building material they would use you've just got to find a way to differentiate it to the average viewer and so i did that by you know removing the the fishing hut roof thing at the bottom i uh, changed the proportions we talked about this last week you know like i i had when i looked at it it's like it just it doesn't feel very tall but because the base of it i had made quite hefty and uh, by reducing the height of the base the whole thing feels a lot taller now it feels like a nice little cap on a tower that has a, a sturdy base but not something that's too large i played around with making it larger but anytime i made anything wider on it it just felt like it reduced the height it didn't feel quite as, as skinny and tall as i wanted it to um, the other things that i've been struggling with is the I will say the color of the highlight part of the top of the tower, which right now I'm using bone block, but I'm a little concerned that when you approach the town from the south, that the tower of the mansion and the tower, uh, the bell tower that I have are both bone block and both have 
dark oak roofs and they kind of bleed together a little bit visually and so i'm not sure if i'm going to keep the bone block if i'm going to change it back to i think i had green there at some point so i might see what happens uh there are blue windows in the uh, main hall of of the keep and it might i might see if i can use maybe um i can't remember which color terracotta i think it's light blue terracotta has kind of like a, a lilac kind of vibe going on Mm -hmm. um in terms of its uh, or a like a slight a more of a blue flower vibe than the darker blue terracotta tends to be more purple like it, the, yeah. the blue terracotta tends to come off as more of like a halloween purple so i might play around with that the good news is that it's only like four or five blocks on either side like it's, it's very easy to switch out and just kind of see which one you like um so that stuff has has been finished up um i'm happy with the overall structure of it now that it's done um, and then speaking of the blue window, that's the other thing that I, I worked on. Uh, last week, I talked about working on the inside of the apps. Uh, this week, I worked on the outside. So this was uh, adding in a bit of a gradient along the base. It's not finished. It's more of like just like a, an idea that I want to go from deep slate to tough to cobble. And that's what's underneath the window. Uh, and then I've added all those like overlapping stairs and walls and um, little like marlins at the top and all the different things that make it look like it's part of a castle thing mm -hmm. with inlaid walls and that that took a while uh, a lot of it was the up and down and this is i think where most of my frustration was coming from there's i mean there's two two big points one was movement i'm really done with scaffolding like i i i try to use it and try to make sure i i explore its merits but very often uh i get frustrated with it and i feel like maybe the thing to do is to use scaffolding to get up to the height that you want but then once you're up there just make dirt like just mm -hmm. use dirt to to bridge around uh because i find with elytra like i'm just constantly like falling through it or i go to jump off of it and it won't jump i just kind of like slide through it or or fall off the edge you can't shift you know, to to not fall off the edge of scaffolding, where if it was a dirt platform, I could totally just hold shift and move around and look at things the way that I want. So um, I did find myself really getting frustrated with the constant up and down. But that's, it's in part, that's the project. It's not just that it's um, scaffolding. It's that that this entire build is up on a, on a very high cliff. And on the south side, the riverside, it's at its tallest. So whenever I'm working on it, I'm always, I mean, I start by going up like 20 blocks you know uh in scaffolding and then i can start to do the detail work on the walls so that was frustrating but the other thing right now i think is that in a in a good strategy i am not really pushing any one part of this build to completion all at once so i'm working on the bell tower but it's not really 100 percent done i'm working on the main hall but it's not 100 percent done because i'm trying to bounce around and not shoot myself in the foot by finishing something and then realizing, crap, if I had made that, you know, a block farther south, or if I had made this just a little bit thicker, it would have really worked well with this next thing that I want to do. So I'm trying to like bounce around the build as best I can and sort of like spend a little bit of time in the courtyard, spend a little bit of time looking at towers and, and reassessing walls. Uh, the next thing that I think I have to do uh, is to reassess the south wall and how it attaches to the south gate and really make that feel like it functions the way that i want and then worry about the fashion after i've been focusing on making it look pretty cool but i'm i'm running into roadblocks with man this would flow so much nicer if this outside pathway was one block wider right so i have the room there's a lot of room between the the keep and the the south village so i can expand that wall by two three blocks if i want to so i'm going to try and explore that the next time i i play on the citadel but the the overall I guess dancing around the fact that nothing that I'm doing is finished. So when I finish a stream, I'm not like checking a box. And I think that's kind of misleading me into thinking that I'm not, I'm not making any progress, right? It's just that at the yeah. end, there'll be one big checkbox where everything will just kind of get done <laughs> kind of like all at the same time. But because I'm trying to be smart about it, it doesn't feel like I'm doing much. Yeah, it must be kind of difficult when previous streams you've talked about, I got a whole house done on this stream yes. or like you got mm -hmm. several kind of things or at least you made overall progress towards one of the larger builds like your kind of you know mansion in the woods kind of build and yep. then now it's just adding small details so it really doesn't feel like you can look at one thing 
give one screenshot and say everything I did was in this one picture because half of it's around the back of the stuff that you're trying to take pictures of and it might be awkward angles and yeah especially if you've been kind of up and down scaffolding a lot you're going to find that it's it's dotted around all over the place when it comes to the scaffolding I find myself a lot happier using scaffolding for the initial build process than I do for going back and texturing later. And it's Mm. so often because of that six block horizontal limit, you end up falling off the scaffolding, trying to reach just like an extra block over in that direction so that I don't have to build another tower of scaffolding to get to the other half of this big flat wall that I want to texture. And more often than not, that's what ends up tripping me up. So yeah, I I can feel your frustration there. Even as somebody who is quite okay with the way scaffolding mechanic works like i've i've learned to appreciate the way mojang wants you to use them instead of like trying to impose my own wishes on them but yeah i can i can see getting frustrated with scaffolding pretty easily and i i really do want that six block limit to be farther but i don't know if that's really my hang up i think it's more about the not being able to hold shift and keep yourself on the edge of it it's the control issue that kind of comes up rather than the the kind of the limitations of the block itself yeah i can i can understand that well um speaking of scaffolding (laughs) uh i i've spent a lot of time in spain this week and i haven't really played any actual minecraft but i've been to some places which are still under construction in spain but are pretty incredible uh we spent a lot of time in barcelona and barcelona is known for having a lot of buildings designed by the architect anthony gaudi uh chief among which is the basilica de la sagrada familia or the uh, basilica of the holy family i guess um which is genuinely wonderful like if i'm a a completely a religious person uh but if you if you've been like in any kind of like cathedrals and stuff you know sort of the uh the approach that is taken to that kind of stuff it's it's a sense of awe when you walk in just at the scale of everything um double that and that's sagrada familia or at least it gets close to what sagrada familia is and it's not even finished yet the construction on that building began in i think 1883 and it's still going on to this day like it outlasted gaudi by like i think he died 37 years into the production of the whole thing and various other architects have taken over um and there's just some absolutely stunning stuff in there uh once again we mentioned this in the render distance but if you're interested in seeing some pictures of it i have a few on instagram and obviously there's going to be tons online um it would make an incredibly cool minecraft build um but what i've been learning from a lot of the architecture reference and and you know the the pictures i've been taking some of it is anti reference as in what not to take inspiration from because <laughs> one of the things that we got an audio tour of sagrada familia so we got to listen in to like an english language sort of audio tape of um you know some of the the inspiration behind the way gaudi designed the structure and uh he has a lot of inspiration from the natural world so the inside of it is designed to look like a forest where trees are sort of supporting the roof and every time a pillar reaches up it's not reaching in a vertical orientation for the most part there are a lot of angled things which end in a kind of canopy of stonework that's kind of hanging down and supporting light fixtures and funneling light into different places and the natural world inspiration continues to some of his other buildings. If you look up uh, La Pedrera or uh, Casa Batlo, um, or Batio, I suppose, not entirely confident in my Spanish pronunciation yet, um, but if you want a quick first impression of any of, of Gaudi's buildings, uh, there are a lot of curves, there are a lot of like intricate ironwork is involved in, in several of them. And so you end up with, yeah, like a, a whole bunch of curved surfaces uh, like on the front of a building and a lot of very difficult like uh, difficult stuff to model if you're looking for um something blocky you know like a a lot of the other architecture around barcelona around spain in general falls into you know gothic art deco baroque baroque revival stuff um lots of apartment buildings that are five or six stories lots of repeated patterns stuff that i go yes yes taking pictures of that reference for this um a lot of gaudi's stuff is just almost undefinable in minecraft terms you know you'd need a, a ton of other blocks like vertical slabs be damned you need curves you would need like a lot more intricate stuff you'd probably need chisels and bits and even then it would seem too blocky so there's there's a <laughs> there's a lot going on there um so i i've been i've been frantically photographing everything i can in spain 
um, throughout this week. So naturally, I haven't played any actual Minecraft since last time you heard me. But I have joined a new project. Um, new Life SMP is going to be starting on May 27th. And to clarify, because there's some confusion about this, it's not related to the popular Third Life, Last Life uh, servers. It just has a similar name. It's a modded server. Um, and it's kind of, if anything, the spiritual successor to the Afterlife SMP that a lot of folks participated in between Empires Seasons 1 and 2. Uh, so I'm joining in. Uh, I'm going to be running that alongside uh, a new survival guide series for Minecraft 1.20 and uh, kind of looking forward to that. But in the meantime, Mojang managed to not release 1.20 while I was away, so I guess the curse is broken <laughs> and we didn't have any uh, spectacular news while I was gone. There is still news, though, so uh, maybe we should get into that. There is indeed. Minecraft Java Edition 1.20 pre-release 2, 3, and 4. Pre-release 2 and 3 mainly focus on bug fixes, and pre-release 4 simply contains a fix for a game crash in the multiplayer screen that was occurring in pre-release 3. In 1.20 pre-release 2, some technical changes. The game will now display a message box on startup if the user has enabled text-to-speech functionality, but it is not available. Item Minecraft Air can now be used in datapack recipes to denote an ingredient that will match an empty slot. The following recipes, however, do not allow for an empty ingredient. They are crafting shaped, crafting shapeless, smelting, blasting, smoking, campfire cooking, and stone cutting. Fixed bugs of note in pre-release 2. Dispensed boats and rafts get stuck inside of dispensers used to place them. Single quotation marks are not supported in NBT paths. New potion effect GUI does not work when using programmer art. Rideable entities that can be steered build up fall damage when on climbable blocks. Horse armor loses NBT data when equipped on horses via right-clicking. The player can fall through scaffolding when loading a world. I would argue the player can fall through scaffolding by just sneezing. Minecart movement is not reliably detected by skulk sensors. The chiseled bookshelf won't rotate when placed as part of a structure. The shield doesn't block TNT explosions. Most two-block tall flowers do not block enchanted tables and are part of Minecraft replaceable. Baby sniffers stand a bit too far away from players that are tempting them. Random skylight appears underwater when it shouldn't be and it cuts off at chunk borders. The torch flower crop causes the game to crash and locks the world when pollinated by bees. Bug fixes of note in pre-release 3, jump, boost, slow falling, and levitation don't apply to ridden horses, pigs, or striders until after relog. Riding an entity will slow with slow falling will not stop fall damage. Dispensers do not dispense boats at the correct height, and alternative recipes in the recipe book do not appear on right click. Minecraft Legends has also had a bit of an update. There is a new Lost Legend, which is one of the playable, downloadable maps, and a 30-day patch. The new Lost Legend is called The Breakout, and we'll quote from the article here. In May's free challenge for Minecraft Legends, The Breakout, you have 60 minutes to take on the Unbreakable and rid the overworld of their foul corruption. What's the catch? In order to gather allies, you must first rescue them from nine different bases, and the clock starts ticking as soon as you spawn. The 30-day patch includes a few adjustments, changes to the post-game flow, how you join matches in PvP, and cosmetics entitlements. The portal pile has also been patched, that was the previous Lost Legends map, so make sure you update it separately using the in-game menu. We pulled a few highlights from the Minecraft Legends patch notes for the show. For a full rundown of the changes, check out the full patch notes linked in our show notes for this episode. This is technically Legends Update 1.17.31319. I'm glad they don't have uh, numbers like that for Java Edition. Um, generally speaking, they have a, uh, a couple of changes. Pressing F11 on PC no longer causes the game's controls to stop working, which was a pretty major concern. Cross-platform play no longer defaults to off after signing in or linking a Microsoft account. They've added the ability to delete content that has been downloaded from the marketplace, and the item rarity of skins in the marketplace are now shown in item descriptions. They fixed several crashes that could occur during gameplay across all platforms, including one that could occur when gathering wood during the tutorial. Uh, fixing a crash that could occur after leaving a Lost Legend was also on the list here. In terms of gameplay, the inverted Y-axis on a controller no longer inverts banner view controls. Inverting the controller y-axis no longer affects mouse camera movement as well. 
In terms of versus mode, players can now invite friends to their lobby after selecting replay before the next game begins. They've improved latency in public matchmaking games in some situations and fixed a rare issue that caused lower than usual amounts of coal and iron to spawn in the world during versus matches. A few tweaks to the campaign as well, they fixed the Horde of the Spore boss base sometimes not spawning, the Horde of the Bastion boss not spawning, they fixed some bridges at the Night Beacon base not properly connecting, a village that could not be teleported to from the map has now been fixed, fixed the beast despawning if the player abandoned a village attack, village attacks on legendary difficulty were not defendable unless the player was present at the village, that's now been fixed also. The air above the Horde of the Bastion boss base no longer blocks projectiles. Good news for anybody using redstone launchers there. The Unbreakable's fire spray attack can no longer damage mobs behind it, and they've improved final boss pathfinding around structures. The user interface has seen a couple of short tweaks as well. Mount skins can now be seen and previewed in the Heroes and Mounts menu. The map's cursor horizontal movement is no longer inverted after quickly opening and closing the map. They fixed hotbar icons getting stuck on one category, and clicking anywhere outside of the matchmaking prompt when searching for a match no longer cancels the matchmaking attempt. Once again, if you want to read some more of that, that's all linked in our show notes over at the help.minecraft.net page. I should also let people know that the full list of blug bugs for the uh, pre-releases are also available linked in our show notes to the blog post. Uh, we just picked the ones that we thought were most interesting to talk about. Uh, I mentioned here on the show, there's a, quite a few more in uh, especially pre-release three, lot, lots of bug fixes, lots yes. of bug fixes there and uh, both two and three really. Uh, speaking of, of bug fixes though, uh, in Minecraft Legends, it's good they're patching the game. Like it's good that they're seeing that there's some issues and, and stuff and it, it, it does feel like they're just focusing on like game crashing bugs or or real um gameplay bugs where like things were just not behaving properly at all but it doesn't seem to be addressing any of the gameplay issues that a lot of people have have talked about in terms of the balance and the the dui and the the flow of the game and the your minions not doing exactly what you want them to that kind of stuff so i i feel like i'm waiting for that minecraft legends patch where they say okay we've heard you and now we're adjusting the way that the game actually plays yeah i think gameplay and gui design kind of stuff is hopefully in progress and is just taking longer i think a lot of the priority right now seems to be given to crashes on multiple platforms it seems like because the other thing to remember is this is the same game across pc xbox plus game pass playstation nintendo switch like there's a lot of different console platforms all relying on the same version of the game which i guess is true for bedrock edition but we know bedrock edition has its reputation for being buggy in places and some stuff like you know not performing particularly well on certain platforms so it is a bit of a balancing act between i'm sure they want to fix some of the stuff that they the players think will make it a better game but uh yeah I, i'm hoping that that stuff is ongoing uh behind the scenes and is not going to be uh quite the subject of these little hot fixes well and not not to slam bug fixing in general because of course like i would be very frustrated if i was at the point of the game where i was trying to launch something at a bad guy base and the air was blocking it yeah. like that that's <laughs> uh -huh. not what you expect in that game right so that that would be very frustrating as a player because there would be nothing to communicate to you what was actually going wrong and why your strategy that had worked before was no longer working and i can see that being like oh yes we need to fix that like immediately and things like you know um wait times and um, clicking outside of uh, the UI if you're trying to wait for a match and you don't realize that you've clicked outside and it's it's removed you from the wait queue like that would be uh, a pain as well so it's good that they're they're paying attention to those things of course yeah I, I kind of I might dip back in and play the lost legend I had a lot of fun with portal pile and this one seems like it's a change to the formula it kind of sounds a bit like the escort mission kind of stuff you used to get in starcraft so i'm not sure if it's going to be everybody's jam we've talked about that kind of thing uh not quite sitting well with us in previous episodes but um yeah i, I think i might uh, pop in especially if uh 1.20 isn't releasing until maybe early june at this point i might give the legends gameplay like a little bit more of a chance um but yeah i, I think it's it's kind of a shame that some of the gameplay issues weren't addressed quickly enough for the game to really rebound from the first impressions that people had, which were kind of mixed. But uh, maybe there's uh, the potential for a long tail in this one. And if not, then we can fall back on vanilla Minecraft, as we often do. 
Um, in vanilla Minecraft news, I think the bug fix that stands out to me the most is shields blocking TNT explosions now. Considering they block creeper explosions already, and so that feels like it should be consistent behavior, I often thought that that was just a loophole that, you know, TNT isn't blockable and that's just something you've got to be, you know, aware of. But I think for folks playing around with TNT launches in survival, they're going to be, you know, wiping the sweat from their brow and thinking, wow, I can actually block this with a shield now. That's pretty good. It'll probably help people that are looking for netherite too. You know, if you're doing yes. a lot of TNT mining and doing that kind of stuff and you want to protect yourself, like, you know, with some fire resist potions and, you know, a shield now, you won't have to be so far away. I wonder if that applies to beds, like whether a shield could break a, or like block a bed explosion? Probably not one that you've triggered yourself because it takes yeah. like half a second for the shield to get into place and the bed explosion is so immediate. So Maybe immediate, if somebody yeah. else exploded a bed in front of you, it might work. But yeah, mm. I am, I'm, I'm quite happy the TNT one is a thing because yeah, there's yeah. definitely been some, some situations where I, I wished I could block in time. I feel like the bug fixes uh, that I've been coming over are just taking care of some of the inconsistencies in the game, things that players might experience in very specific situations, like putting a slow falling potion on a horse, like that kind of stuff is not something you see in everyday gameplay. Sure, it's something that you want to be consistent throughout Minecraft, but it's not something you hear immediately. You know, like, I mean, if it was a really important bug, we would have heard about it a long time ago, right? And, yeah. And I feel like... Um, at this stage, we're probably getting pretty close to to some release candidates uh, because the I mean, I don't think that pre-release four is is really telling because pre-release four seemed to be like a hot fix to pre-release three. Like it just seemed to like there was one single thing that was wrong and the game was crashing in the multiplayer screen. So let's just fix it. Um, but the the number of bugs in pre-release three were were less than half mm -hmm. of the number of bugs in pre-release two. So uh, we could be getting close to getting some release candidates and, and having a date announced for 1.20. Yeah, I'm thinking probably release candidate this coming week and then mm -hmm. next week maybe, um, yeah, like around Monday, Tuesday kind of time we might know when the uh, the update's arriving. If I was a betting man, I would say June 6th. That yeah, would be my, yeah, makes my sense. Guess. Those things usually, as as our audience has pointed out in the past, do happen on on Tuesdays. So uh, yeah, let's let's see. Obviously, we can do our wrap up of um of 1.19 i feel like on, on the day before if that's the case sure. so yeah i'm kind of I, I'm, I'm hoping that's the sake uh, the, the case for the convenience of the podcast alone <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna move on to chunk mail if you'd like to email the show you can send that into spawn chunk mail at gmail.com this is our chunk mail dispenser episode so we've got a few e emails to listen to and talk about this week um pixels has the first one Yes, this one comes in from Dan with the subject of Blackstone Color Theory. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I just finished listening to your most recent episode where in the Color Theory segment, Joel mentioned that Blackstone contains hints of blue and therefore pairs well with orange. It makes sense that the developers would choose this given that it means Blackstone would be complementary with the lava that is so common in the nether. My question is, do you know of any other examples like this where blocks have hints of other colours in them that would complement the other blocks that they commonly generate around? I'd be curious as to what less obvious complementary blocks exist in the game. Thanks. Dan burned in lava trying to get a closer look at the details of Blackstone. You gotta be careful when you're studying the colours and you're going through these... <laughs> <laughs> these yeah. little you know very specific things and looking deep into the texture because you then you just you realize you're not paying attention at all to what you're standing on i have fallen off many things trying to look at like what textures are going to work well and and try to figure out how to to make them work the right way together um the first things that come to mind when you're asking about other complementary colors in the game there's not like a dead like primary complementary colors but you end up with colors that are complementary in the right families a good example is purple and yellow in the end with purple which is kind of like a magenta like a light purple but then endstone blocks they're they're yellowish they're not like bright yellow they're not sunshine yellow but they're 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 yellowish they're it's not yellow you know <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. they they have that kind of cheese look to them uh, and there are also purple hues in the obsidian texture that is in the end as well. Uh, you have orange and blue, which is a little bit more of a, of a primary contrast uh, complement in the pairing of shroom lights in the warped forest in the nether. Brown and blue are near complementary colors in that brown is essentially dark orange. 
So uh, you find that in something like when you're looking for an LA in a woodland mansion or in pillager outposts, a lot of brown. And then the thing that you're looking for happens to be blue. Ruined nether portals in the overworld are also pretty close to red encroaching into green, depending on their location. Obviously not the same in the desert, but if you're in a forest and there is a ruined nether portal, there's a lot of orange and red and kind of like warm colors coming into the cool greens and the sky blue that's happening in, in a forest biome. Yeah, the uh, the end was certainly my first thought. And even the skybox in the end has that kind of static thing, and we think of it as being like the black void of space, but there are a lot of purple motes, purple pixels in there, which yep. kind of serve as a background for all of the landscape in the end to begin with. Um, there's also uh, red mushrooms uh, sticking out, way more than brown ones in the deep green of those dark oak forests right. is the one I was thinking of as well. Like You get yep. a lot of pops of color through the uh, the red mushrooms breaking the canopy of the uh, the dark forests up and uh yeah i think there's there's a few examples here and there but if you think about it many of the things that we are looking for are almost like too aligned with their environment that they don't stick out and that's almost purposeful you look at ocean monuments in the blue of an ocean or you look at desert temples in the rolling dunes of a desert and a lot of that stuff is naturally kind of camouflaged which is the point a lot of the time because there are other things that draw you to it in a sense of discovery when you find them but there are certainly things like the end cities which are very much designed to stand out next email comes in from imp imperfect prepping for 1.20 hi joel and picks earlier this month you guys asked how people were planning for 1.20 i used to make a new world every month or so getting settled make plans then give up on those plans. Thanks to your weekly words of encouragement, I'm still working on the same world I started back in January. I'm preparing for 1.20 by getting completely full netherite gear, including hose and fortune and silk touch enchantments. I also stopped exploring structures the day armor trims were announced. I looked up a big desert on my world in chunk base that I'm now purposely avoiding so I can eventually get camels. Question, do camels still spawn only one Per village. Imp Imperfect let himself get killed by an Elder Guardian because he didn't want to kill it until 1.20 is released. <laughs> A noble sacrifice. Um, I'm sure the Elder Guardian also thanks you. Um, yeah, with regards to the direct question here about camels only spawning one per village, yes. I've only ever seen one camel per village when I've been testing, and I initially thought that was just the size of the desert village, maybe preventing multiple camels from spawning based on the the area or the village population or something but i looked this up on the minecraft wiki earlier because i was curious and the minecraft wiki says a camel spawns on the center of each desert village during world generation they do not respawn if they are killed and so it says a camel specifically which makes me think there will only be one which puts the player in a sort of awkward situation potentially a situation where it's encouraging more exploration gameplay, right? It's it's saying, well, you've got one camel, but in order to breed them, you're going to need another one. So maybe ride this one out to the nearest desert, get a get, get an, a, a sort of feel for how they are as a mount, and then you don't have to lead it the entire way, especially if you've got a couple of ravines to jump using the camel's dash ability. You can do stuff like that. And so I am, I, I'm expecting that to be the reason that they don't end up with um you know recurring camel spawns in a location like that that and the fact that desert villages as locations aren't as defined as something like a pillager outpost is because villages are malleable they can be moved around based on the location of villager points of interest and things like that but it seems like camels are going to be few and far between so they're sort of going to be like armor trim in that they might be sought after quite heavily to begin with and then people acquire the ability to duplicate them and then people assess whether or not they're worth having long term after that yeah i mean i can see someone going out and getting a couple of camels right away on the server and then saving other people the trouble uh yeah. probably maybe for a fee depending on whether you're just all friends or whether there's like an economy you want to establish that kind of thing but i can yeah. i can see early camel uh acquiring it being something that you you'd want to do if that's something that you're interested in um, I think they look cool around villages. Like if you're decorating a desert village, I think getting a couple and then being able to breed them and have them dotted around add a lot of life, you know, to um, to the village just because of how tall how tall they are. Like they're such a unique mob yeah. in Minecraft. Like they peek over fences very easily. Like um, 
cows and stuff are okay, but I find like they're, they're, they're only just a, a few pixels taller than most fences. So like they kind of all mesh together. And, and I think you're also dealing with a mob that was designed much more recently and has mm-hmm. more, you know, detail and a little bit more clarity in the model compared to a cow or a chicken that looks like a duck, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like they have that, that appeal as, as well. Um, as far as getting ready for 1.20 are like, are you're just, I guess, making plans for the survival guide because you're, you don't, you're not taking a world from 1.19 into 1.20. No, I'm, I'm rolling a world seed, probably using chunk base initially, just so I can save a bit of time loading up random seeds in Minecraft itself. I'm probably going to select a new world seed early on, and I'm planning on trying to get a decent spread of biomes so hopefully find an area where it's a temperate biome at spawn but then maybe like cold biomes to the south and warm biomes to the north or something like that because a lot of the focus early on is going to be on finding deserts finding the archaeology sites finding camels a few other bits and pieces of warm biomes also lead to jungles for bamboo where the new bamboo wood set can be acquired and there's all sorts of bits and pieces like that that are relevant to the biomes that you're going to be locating but then i'll want cold biomes for various resources the potential for mountains and cherry groves and stuff like that so i i'm i'm gonna try and just keep rolling seeds until i find something and that's going to be the episode zero for season three of survival guide at this point my nearest desert in the survival guide 2 world was about four thousand blocks away it did have two or three desert villages uh so you know if i were to trim that area out of my current world i'd be able to obtain and breed camels there if i wanted to and also maybe reset a couple of desert temples in the area but it's quite a trek and it seemed like i could potentially get something closer have better access access to that and sand that i could use for other things and uh, just make the whole experience a little bit more pleasant for myself really that was one of the reasons we chose the seed that we have for the citadel was initially a dark oak forest well we were in a spruce biome or next to one a dark oak forest was like walkable in the overworld to the south and a desert was only like 300 blocks in the nether like it really wasn't far at all so that kind of made us say okay this is a good place to start we've actually discovered that that since then a lot of the biomes in minecraft uh jungle and and ice spikes biomes and things like that were really not that far away like all of them i want to say within a thousand blocks of nether travel um now that was when we were not we hadn't gotten to the point on the citadel where we're using fast travel to then take us to different build zones there was no build zones it was just one server one area and so uh having access to the different kind of blocks that we wanted to build with was was important um but chunk base is a good is a good tool for that i'll be using that or something similar to look for a cherry grove and and see where that is uh we may want to establish like a 1.20 zone for people that are are looking for that kind of thing uh, it depends on, you know, where things are. I personally, I think my next project, I'm going to try to build on a mushroom Island. I want to do some sci-fi stuff and I would really just like to not have to deal with mobs if I can help it. So, mm-hmm. um, if I can find a big enough mushroom Island where I could have something that could contain what I want to do, then that would be really cool. I'd also, uh, I don't know whether chunk base will tell me the biomes underneath the ground, but it would be really cool if I could have something else happening underneath the mushroom island and of course any previous experience i had with a mushroom island is going to be um pre 1.17 so any new kind of caves and cliffs stuff would be great because i, I could potentially find one that even has like an ancient city nearby because i'd like to start messing around with skulk sensors and a bunch of stuff that i just haven't had the opportunity for because they don't really work well with medieval stuff that i've been working on so i'm looking forward to expanding into different stuff and trying some new things um, I will be getting some netherite armor and and tools. I, I'll focus on the tools first before 1.20 drops, um, mainly just because of all the building and digging. I know I'm going to have to do in the future, mm-hmm. and it just reduces the amount of trips to go repair stuff. I don't see myself really switching a lot of my armor around. I still want to have like a gold helmet for when I go to the Nether, so the piglins don't bug me. I you know I often will wear netherite boots, but I have those already. And I usually have iron pants only because it makes the server a little bit harder for me, but doesn't increase the difficulty for other folks. And 
I, I don't know whether I'm going to bother to make, you know, netherite pants because again, like it just, it's, it, I guess it depends on how the trims look and whether I, or not I can kind of make something work for what I want to do. I want to do some sci-fi stuff and I might end up making my armor transparent and going with what you guys did on, on empires by having like a custom skin, you know, like maybe I may, or maybe, maybe I change netherite armor to look like a spacesuit, you know, and therefore I will want to go get netherite armor. Like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but that's the, the netherite thing is something I'm going to focus on at least a little bit. I, I don't know if I'm going to go all the way because then I would be, there'd be no need for me to experience the new way that netherite is going to be used and applied in the game. So I might leave a couple of things like I might do my tools before uh, 1.20, but then my armor, maybe I'll wait until 1.20 is out so I can kind of experience both sides of it and kind of compare and contrast. Um, but that's really kind of it. Like we don't have a lot of necessarily prep to do because a lot of what we've got going on on the Citadel, people are invested in their large area kind of OG builds and have been for quite some time. So there's not been, there's, there's not been rampant exploration. So when people want to try to find new stuff in 1.20, it's really not going to be that far away. Yeah. Um. Just out of curiosity, when was the last time that in the Citadel world you died and lost all the equipment you had on you? Like it despawned before you could get back or you lost it in lava or something? Hmm... I want to say it was within the last two years because I had ended a stream, taken a screenshot or something like that, and gotten into post stream mode where I'm like making a Twitter post and like thanking the people that rated me and all that kind of stuff, tagging the people that, that I rated. And I had let myself stand on a rooftop, like a very tall rooftop. I think it was the gate, the main gate. And that... I ended up dying to phantoms because oh, I had uh -huh. slept, right? Because I, <laughs> right. I just, I, I just, I felt you know your end game. You feel pretty powerful. Uh, you left the game running. Normally, I switch myself into spectator mode to take screenshots so I can kind of get myself in just the right position because I'm admin on the server. Yeah. And then yeah. after I take the screenshots, I switch back to survival, and that's how I play the game. Um, but it's for me, it's it, I just forgot to do it. So it was within the last two years, and I want to say probably on the early side of that because if I was on top of the the main gate i would have been working on something probably close to it so i want to say probably two years ago maybe a year and a half would be the last time i died and lost everything and i don't i wouldn't have lost everything everything because i'm far enough away that no one else would have loaded the area yeah so yeah. i would have had however long it took me to walk from the portal to to my the top of the building so i'm sure i lost some stuff but i I don't because if like because if you explode that high up like your stuff just goes everywhere yeah so you, you, just... <laughs> you end up with a yard sale as I've yeah heard it called. exactly exactly yeah. so yeah it's been a while I'm just thinking in terms of how effective it's going to be for people long term to collect a bunch of netherite stuff now because sooner or later if you're an accident prone or you know a, a risky player you're going to end up needing to interact with the new netherite upgrade path at some point right. but for somebody like you where like building is your main focus you're doing a yep. lot of like surface building for the most part and you're you're a lot more interested in that side of things than you are going out and the combat side of things doesn't really interest you a whole lot so i think you're going to be a lot better off yeah, hoarding netherite while you can, getting a bunch of it, and then you won't really have to interact with the new netherite upgrade mechanic for like a year plus at the very least, um, unless there are more kind of occasional moments like that where, uh, yeah, you let it slip and, and phantoms get you or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably a good strategy, but sooner or later people are going to have to get used to the fact that that's how you obtain netherite. So I, I like the idea that I'm going to have to adjust to that immediately if i want to get netherite i'm, I'm sort yeah. of getting in on the ground floor with the new mechanics and stuff like that but of course to each their own i think that's a, a very sensible thing to do we'll move on to our last email for today's episode which is from cyan with the subject of magic in minecraft hey johnny and joel Long-time listener, first-time writer. I know this is not something that's typically talked about on the show, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on the magic system in Minecraft. There are a lot of magic mods that don't mesh with vanilla magic, simply adding their own magic system with their own items without integrating Minecraft's own magic. Back in 2013, this was normal because there were next to no elements for a magic system. But 10 years later, this is no longer the case. There are a number of distinct kinds of magic 
in the game. Some examples are soul magic, which can be seen in The Wither and The Warden, or ocean magic, which can be seen in The Guardians and Conduit. I could go on, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about, or how you would improve, the magic system. Cyan was struck by lightning while trying to become a witch. <laughs> well, that works for villagers. I don't know if that's going to work for players, unfortunately. Work for He-Man. I'll sign up for that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely it does. Um, so I, I, at first I wasn't sure what Cyan meant by ocean magic until I realized that the death message for being killed by a guardian laser says the player was killed by magic. Um, and I think that's just the game counting it as magic damage for the purposes of bypassing armor, although I think it's still reduced by protection enchantments, but like it, it always does a flat like one and a half hearts worth of damage regardless of what armor you're wearing. Um, and potions of harming thrown by players or witches also do that. So that's the, the getting killed by magic thing. And with souls, you not only have the Warden and the Wither and things like that, there's also soul speed, which releases those like blue particles when you're traveling across soul sand or soul soil. So yeah, there, there is a an argument to be made for these effectively being elements of magic integrated into Minecraft's own world. And I also think about like the runes that float to an enchantment table and uh, yeah. the, the different kind of cues that Minecraft gives you visually for, for that kind of thing. And we mean, we are using books that glow and, you know, you can put um, armor glows. I mean, of course, unless you've got the, the enchantment glint turned all the way down, um, but you, you know, it will glow when it's enchanted. So you've got some magical attributes on your, on your player. Um, I would love some lore and clarity on the magic in Minecraft, though I get why they've not done that because it leaves it open to interpretation by the player and they can come up with their own stories and that kind of thing. But I do think that there could be some interesting kind of, we'll say breadcrumbs um, beyond like um, achievements or advancements and that kind of thing. Just something a little bit more clear um, than recipe pop-ups to encourage players to explore different kind of magical mechanics uh, in satisfactory, which I've been playing a lot lately, you have a, a digital assistant that's kind of like in your helmet and they'll speak to you in like a weird sort of like uh, encouragement slash like demand that you go and collect some alien artifact when you're close to it on the map. So like if you get close to, summer sloop or some other kind of like kind of ore uh ada will come in your ear and go like i strongly suggest that you harvest this item and just kind of repeat that until you <laughs> until mm -hmm. you do it and it's it's a proximity thing and so that made me think like sound in minecraft has come a really long way uh we're using sound in gameplay for skulk sensors the warden senses sound and obviously the warden's kind of like abilities center around the ability to detect sound uh or vibrations i should say but the way that it's it's presented to the player like you hear the skulk sensor make like a little chirp noise right i was wondering like if there were magical items in the game that you were either going to find or magical areas if the game could then play a sound when you are close by so maybe you're walking through you know the jungle and there's some sort of you know enchanted item in a, a chest in the jungle jungle temple if you get close enough to it, if you could hear a hum or a song or a chime or something to indicate that there is, you know, something in that chest that's more than just a regular thing, I think that would be a really interesting layer to add on top of the fact, like when you pick up an enchanted book in a loot table, like sure, it look, it's an enchanted book. You have to hover over it to see what it is, but at least, you know, visually right away, oh, that's important. That looks more important than just a regular paper book. And um, I'm curious to see how sound might come into play. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely potential for audio cues like that. Those those end up happening a lot in games where collectibles are a thing. You end mm -hmm. up with uh, thinking my obviously like I talk about this a lot, but my recent gaming experience has largely been Minecraft or Elden Ring. And in Elden Ring, there are these scarab beetles that are kind of rolling around on the map and each of those will either have like a refill for your health flasks or a skill of some kind or sometimes an item but there's always this kind of low sort of sparkling noise that happens when they're nearby and you can use the directional audio of that to 
try and figure out where they are and often it, it leads to effectively a puzzle where you've got to find this thing in the undergrowth or attached to the side of a cliff or a tree or somewhere you don't expect to find it and so yeah the, the game kind of teaches you to look for those things in a certain way which is i think more difficult to do when your world is procedural obviously like mm. you said if you're tying it to loot chests or specific structures there are ways of doing that and the game already generates those procedural audio cues in the ambient cave noises that pop up whenever you're close by to a dark space and it will play one of those <sighs> kind of like mm. those breathy noises that indicates that there's a uh, a cave nearby um but it's training the player to recognize what that is but also making it something that players can't then just exploit to find the loot quicker is, is kind of an interesting balance to find um i think Going back to the main question here, I think leaning too heavily into magic as an element of the Minecraft world does leave a lot fewer things open to player interpretation. And we've talked about how Minecraft feels like a medieval fantasy game at its core, but player interpretation has it pivot and adapt into different genres. And that becomes a lot harder if you make anything too magical. Um, as a specific example, though, Think about beacons, for example. Um, there's this Arthur C. Clarke quote, one of his like laws of sci-fi, which is that any sufficiently advanced technology becomes indistinguishable from magic. And right. that kind of works both ways, is that any sufficiently obscure magic, like anything that is hidden behind something that could look like technology, ends up feeling like technology in the context of building it in a modern sense so the beacons are magic right they're crafted from glass obsidian and a glowing star dropped by an eldritch abomination that you fight uh, it's a it's a pretty like fantasy concept but when placed in the world because of the color choices because of the square nature of things and the beam it emits and everything the sort of laser light thing that it has it feels technological or it can do and I feel like that's a really good way that Minecraft strikes a balance between something with magical properties, but visuals which are still open to interpretation. Because you can either focus on the effect of the beacon and say, well, this feels magical in nature, therefore the object is magical. Or you can focus on the visual aspect of it and say, it looks like a modern sodium lamp or something like that, therefore it feels technological and modern to me. And I think if they can incorporate more things like that into a system of magic, then that's a really cool concept. I was doing this thing in Empire Season 1 where I was using conduits, not as the conduit itself, where it's opened up and covered in water and it always gives you that conduit power effect. I was using them as a light source because it's a, a hovering block, effectively. Like, it's placed in the middle of the block space and just kind of sits there in midair. And those feel like a mystical light source, but they can also feel like a very technological one if you build them in the right way. So I think there's there's a few ways in which Minecraft really allows for that level of interpretation, that expanding into things which are more overtly magical in the traditional sense, in like the Dungeons and Dragons kind of sense, uh, tends to get away from player interpretation and more modern settings. Last week we talked about mini bluff buffs to the player from armor trim and i was thinking about how magic might be able to be used to create small area of effect buffs or debuffs i guess for the player thinking about things like totems from minecraft dungeons you know where it gives you like a health boost for a short time or something that you could carry in your inventory that might give you a buff like You'd have to sacrifice an inventory slot, but you'll be mining a little bit faster, like that kind of a thing. And I thought that could be an interesting approach to bringing a different kind of function. So less about magical items or blocks in the game out in the world and more about like things for the player. A lot of times in the magic mods that uh, Cyan mentioned, you'd have like an additional player slot for like a trinket or a necklace or a ring. Yeah, kind of baubles and that kind of stuff. That yeah. kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of common in like fantasy RPGs. Like you'll you, you'll have like a slot. Diablo has that. You know, you can gem slots and trinkets and things like that. And that that I thought could be interesting. But then I thought, well, there, you kind of already do that with enchanting in terms of like the enchantments that you put on your armor. The difference I think there is that it becomes clearer. Like if you had instead of enchanting armor, if you carried something that would give you that enchantment. 
I feel like that to me is clearer to the player um, rather than a list. Cause I've always found the enchantment thing kind of um, convoluted in terms of like what items do I have? Like what pieces of armor do I have and what enchantments do I have? The enchantments don't fall in the same order every time. Like it depends on how they were applied. And so like, if you're looking for something that has silk touch, silk touch is not necessarily the first enchantment in the list. Right. And mm -hmm. you generally have to, um, be like you have to hover over everything to look at it so it would be interesting if they view if they used magical items in the game to indicate you know what enchantments were on different items things like that and that kind of goes back and forth to like the visual thing with the armor and the armor trim which now you could do right like so if you had you know end game gear all identical you know netherite but your you know, protection armor or the stuff that you would use in battle is all one armor trim and maybe redstone, you know, for color. And then if you've got um, another kind of thing that's, you know, got all of your aqua affinity and like all, like all that kind of stuff that's a little bit more focused on exploring and, you know, that kind of thing, then maybe that's blue with a completely different armor trim. So you can use the armor trim to then visually distinguish. So they kind of have added the, the tools in the game that I was thinking of, but uh, I think it just would be interesting if they had a, a way to tie it all together because that's the kind of thing like you've got the water magic with the guardians, you've got the soul magic, you know, with the nether and the ancient cities and stuff, but there doesn't like the, the book itself, like the, the enchantment book doesn't seem to re like it, obviously it predates all of that from a game history, but it doesn't seem to tie everything together. And I'd be curious to see like if there'd be anything that could be done with ha maybe having certain books or certain tomes have the same symbol. Like if you picked up a, a, a an enchanted book and the enchantment, the enchanted book that had an aqua affinity um, enchantment in it, maybe the texture for that book was like a different color or had a symbol of a guardian on it, you know, just from, from a sprite perspective. I know they're small. But I just wonder if there's a way, if there'd be a way to like kind of bring everything just a little bit closer to the enchantment table to make Minecraft magic feel like, yes, there are different kinds of magic, but you as a player can utilize the enchantment table to kind of like tie everything together. And again, it goes back to that thing about like, you know, how much lore do you want to put in the game and how much lore do you want the players to come up with on their own? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like my my favorite magic mod will forever be Thormcraft, um, which does a lot of that stuff, like the symbology of it. Like it adds in different symbols related to the different elements, and then it assigns one or more elements to a whole variety of blocks which you can then kind of distill so if you want like an element that's related to nature then like leaves and saplings and all of that stuff can all be kind of boiled down into one essence which you can then use for different types of magic and that ties like a bunch of different stuff in the world kind of like the you know the guardians to aqua affinity kind of thing like it, it puts them all under one category and lets you do research which is done in the way of these kind of satisfying puzzle mechanics it kind of feels like one of those alchemy games where you're combining elements to see whether certain things are compatible um and it, it adds like later on there's powers to enhance combat there's even one that does building stuff for you there's like a a wand that you can use to replace a a, a section of the same block with a bunch of the same block from your inventory um, and so it, it, it kind of becomes like using world edit, but you've got a certain amount of mana reserves that you can replace this amount of blocks before you have to recharge your wand or something, right? Um, and there are little elements like that that add to the world of Minecraft in a very specific direction. Um, there's even balance in the sense that dabbling in magic too much introduces flux, which is this threat to the world's ecology. Um and it has a strong occult theme, the whole thing. So if you're introducing stuff like that to vanilla Minecraft, it'd feel like it really skews the tone of the game. But I think you're right in that you can tie concepts together through symbolism that doesn't even have to necessarily enhance one thing or the other. But if your enchanted book textures look like they're kind of related to 
watery themed stuff even if you end up enchanting a book or buying a book from a villager it's got aqua affinity it's got a guardian on the front of that but you've never seen a guardian before because you haven't explored and found an ocean temple yet incentivizes exploration right like you you can potentially tie things together in a really fun way that like the wandering trader is supposed to prompts the player to wonder what else is out there in the world and what they're missing if they haven't explored to find every biome and every structure and so forth and we've seen the changes to netherite and how that's being applied on the smithing table where it needs a template now what if if you were going to apply an aqua affinity enchantment you needed a book that had that enchantment the piece of armor and a drop from a guardian you know like what if you if you wanted to put blast protection on something what if you needed a little piece of of gunpowder right to to do that i'm i'm wondering like if you could start to incorporate more of the natural elements in the world rather than just the player levels and just like sure that's enough we just focus that on the book and you way you go i mean and maybe i don't know whether that happens in the smithing table maybe the enchantment table needs a different slot for like the the item you know like the thing that you're sacrificing uh, a consumable if you would if you would beyond just the levels of the player um that that could be really interesting too regarding like the future of magic i think minecraft could get away with adding wands and staffs to the game they were fun in minecraft dungeons um i think that you could do it in a way that it wouldn't completely replace the bow um especially if if the spells were not like necessarily attack spells like what if spells made an enemy enemy small for time and run away from you or frozen enemy in place so not necessarily something you can bring into battle um and and win but still let you escape and it might be fun for the people that play minecraft uh and they want to be pacifists like they don't want to kill everything and they don't want to run around and just shoot everything that moves if you're running away from you know this this animal or something or or this uh, or a zombie or skeleton if you just freeze it in place and run away then you're good you know like that that could be that could be interesting and and i think that there's you know we've got tridents and we've got crossbows we've got bow and arrows like i feel like there could be a little bit more fun there and and again like it just it, it could add effects like what if magic controlled by the player just was a different way to light things you know we've got candles that kind of float in the air if you remove the block underneath them uh if you could use ma- like maybe you have to go down the magic road before you can control the light intensity of a lantern you know like lanterns are in the game you don't need magic you can just use them they're just full strength that's it that's all there is unless you have magic at which point you could use your magic wand to trip the lights so it doesn't really affect things like pvp or even pve it's just it becomes like just a neat way to interact with things i mean i don't know about the harry potter nerds out there but i just i like the idea of kind of pointing my wand at something and having it change from brightness like that just feels like a fun thing to do as a minecraft player but that's just me yeah and i I think there's room for that to feel technological even through just resource packs for players if they want to have it look more modern but yeah going going back to what you were saying about armor trim like i can't imagine the amount of players who are going to want to have like gold armor with red trim and be like i'm iron man now and if there was like a way of like contextualizing any kind of armor set bonuses or whatever in a modern way it's that it's like okay you're a superhero now rather than you're a knight wearing a suit of armor right it's kind of like a that there's there's modern context for a lot of that stuff that i think would work really well um, that is what we're going to have time for for today, though, folks. Uh, thank you so much for the emails, those of you who sent them in. And, of course, if you want to send in some more emails, get featured on a regular episode of the show or our future Chunk Mail dispensers, Joel will have the email address for you once again in a second. But in the meantime, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every Monday, and we have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up this Saturday, where we'll be talking to our patrons about what they've been up to in Minecraft this month. We currently have 313 patrons, which is down three from last week, so we'd love to welcome some new people in as we wrap up May. We are welcoming in a new content engineer, as Joel said at the top of the show, so thank you to Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Party Voyager, and Yitz for your support on this episode. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked in the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where this week I should hopefully have my final episode from Empire's SMP Season 2 and the first episode of New Life SMP. Expect a few other things to pop up soon, especially once 1.20 arrives and we get into Season 3 of The Survival Guide. In the meantime, I stream a bunch of days of the week on Twitch. It's normally three days a week for the Minecraft stuff, but I play a bit of Elden Ring with my good friends as XP from time to time as well. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Check out the latter if you want my holiday snaps from Spain. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm up to online can be linked at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media. Twitter and Instagram is where I am the most active, but of course I am on Twitch at joelduggan, where I stream every day. But Monday, Legos on Fridays, Satisfactory is now on Wednesdays, and the rest of the time, we are, of course, pushing to finish West Hill. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and most of it is magic. <laughs> <laughs>